2: On my website at shalomklein.com. So today we've got a fantastic lineup in store, and I've been really, really excited about this conversation. Uh, I have uh, Edith uh, Vasevsky, who just released her new book, The Nine Lives of Curious Edith. Edith is a lifelong educator and therapist, as well as the founder of Northern Illinois School of Etiquette. And she's an individual who is an eternal optimist. So, uh, Edith, such a pleasure to have you on the program.
3: Well, thank you.
2: And I, I have to say that, um, you know, I, I don't ordinarily call out people's ages over here, um, but I, I feel you, uh, you deserve it over here. You uh, are anticipating your uh, 90th birthday, as I understand it. Edith, um, what's, what's the secret?
3: Oh, well... It's uh, having a good attitude and not letting life get you down. No matter how tough it is, you have to find a way to adjust your attitude to know. In my case, I believe that the Almighty will help you every time you need help. And my faith has kept me going.
2: That's fantastic, Edith. And um, so let's get right into it. You are, uh, certainly I hear it from uh, even our, our initial conversation, an eternal optimist indeed. But you wrote this book. Why did you write this book, especially as I understand that you wrote it with one finger? If you don't mind, that's Edith, talk us through the process.
3: Well, that's absolutely correct. I um, had a stroke that affected the whole right side of my body to a certain extent. And I also have very bad arthritis. So my right hand, and I am right-handed, became very, very stiff and swollen. And I decided that um, I had one finger that was still very flexible. So why not use it? (laughs) that's all it took was a little grit I just had to do it and you know why be feel bad about it that just makes your life miserable
2: so I have to say Edith the title itself stirs some curiosity the nine lives of curious Edith where did that come from well
3: you can blame one of my doctors on it uh the book is dedicated to four of my doctors uh after I had the stroke and all the aftermath, I developed Parkinson's disease. And that, of course, makes you have all kinds of trembles and that sort of thing. And um, when I was very, very ill one time, and I, I wound up developing pneumonia, that I had pneumonia six times in seven years, and my doctor said to me, after I'd spent two whole weeks in the hospital, and I followed up in his office, he said, you know, Edith, you are just like a cat. He said, you're so curious. He said, you study everything that goes wrong with you. And then you come in and you tell me what I'm going to diagnose. And you turn out to be right. He says, I've never seen that much curiosity in a patient, nor have I seen such a tough old lady either. He said, you have more than nine lives. I swear, no matter what we doctors do, you're going to probably have 12 lives before it's over.
2: Oh, my goodness. You are an inspiration, Edith. Again, I'm chatting with uh, Edith Vasevsky, um, the author of The Nine Lives of Curious Edith. And uh, again, 90 90 years old, um, which is incredible, and wrote the book with one finger. So, you know, speaking on that title, uh, Nine Lives of Curious Edith, we covered the nine piece of it. um, But why is it good to have curiosity and humor? when living life? Is there an antidote that perhaps you can share with us?
3: Well, um, I've chosen one that's a very short one. Um, I made up my mind early in my motherhood that I did not want to ever yell at my children, that I had to remember that they were just equal children of God And therefore, I shouldn't shout at them. And one day, when my son Stephen was almost four years old, I was dusting in the room. And all of a sudden, I heard this odd noise. And I thought, what's that? And, And I turned around to look, and Steve was standing in front of a mirror that went down to the floor, And he was spitting on it. Now, my first reaction was, this isn't good. And I almost said something that I shouldn't have. And then I thought, no, calm down, mom, calm down. And I went over and I very quietly said, Steve, what are you doing? And he said, well, we are spitting at ourselves. And I said, Oh? And he looked at me like I didn't understand, so he proceeded to tell me. He said, Well, see, there are two Stevies. There's the one that's standing here, and then there's the one in the mirror, and he pointed at it. And he said, I wanted to find out if we could spit it ourselves. And I started laughing, and I said, well, okay, if that's giving you some fun, you go ahead. But, you know, you have to have a little responsibility about it, too. So I want you to go into the bathroom and get, get a towel and come back. And wipe the mirror down when you're through playing with it. <laughs> and that's just was kind of a typical way. I, I I tried to to keep myself under good control and be an example to my child that I didn't have to get angry just because he was doing something a little bit.
2: And that's why they call you the Eternal Optimist. Again, I'm chatting with Edith Vasevsky, the author of The Nine Lives of Curious Edith. Um, really fascinating background. And as we uh, wrap up our conversation, um, I understand that you are a former school teacher. And uh, using that background and using, obviously, the messages, including those anecdotes that you just shared with us, Edith, what is the message that you want readers to take away from the book?
3: Well, I hope this is the the readers will enjoy the book as a good true memoir of my life and find inspiration uh, that I have acquired in 90 years on this planet. I found too many people are afraid to ask for help. And sometimes many of the things that make us miserable can be solved just by learning to change our attitude. And if you You're going to be happy. It's a choice. And every morning when you wake up, just greet the morning with a great smile on your face. And if it's sunny, thank God that it is. And if it's raining, thank God that it is because it's giving us water, growing our food. Mm -hmm. And there's just nothing to be unhappy about unless we decide to choose unhappiness.
2: Edith, it's a great message. So um, we are just about out of time. Um, the, the book, The Nine Lives of Curious Edith, uh, I know can be found wherever uh, books are available. You've got a fantastic team, uh, Edith, and, and a great message. So I want to thank you for uh, for joining us on the air. Uh, an interesting message, a unique message for our entrepreneurs and our regular listeners of Get Down to Business. We've got a lot to learn from you, my friend. So thank you very, very much indeed. And um, please come back uh, in the next decade to share more of your writings and more of your inspiration. How about that?
3: Well, thank you. And I uh, appreciate you having me on your program. That's very, very nice.
2: Absolutely. Again, Edith Wasewski, Find the Book, The Nine Lives of Curious, uh, Curious Edith. And um, we'll be back on the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. We're going to squeeze in a very quick break over here. Um, but Chicago, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business. I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Get on my website, shalomklein.com to download, rate, review, and of course, share the show and the podcast all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So uh, great conversation there. And I'm thrilled to continue a, uh, an exciting show uh, with the, uh, the founder and CEO of Intentionally Inspirational, Jason Wright. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for joining us on the air.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.
2: It's, uh, it's awesome to have you. So uh, Jason, you are, uh, you are an expert in everything automated marketing. So uh, I'm curious. I love to get to know the uh, person behind the, behind, the, uh, behind the audio over here. Uh, you're an author, entrepreneur, consultant, and digital marketing architect, um, but you have a passion for helping other startups. So you must have a story yourself. How did you get into this world of automated
1: marketing? Uh, Completely by accident, to be honest with you. So like many people about five years ago, I was in a job in corporate America and I just decided that I don't want to do this anymore, right? I want control over my time. I I don't want to dance to the beat of somebody else's drum. So um, I quit very, very quickly without a good plan and and failed and fell on pretty rough times. And eventually had to go back to corporate America and uh, continue to work on uh, making money online, uh, kind of on the side. And I was uh, actually doing blogging and writing at the time, and uh, I realized that you know if I get my my message in front of more people, I might be able to make a bigger impact. And I was encouraging people to quit their nine to five and start their own business, but I hadn't done so successfully myself. so kind of funny looking back. But um, as I started figuring out um how to get my message out there better, I started realizing that other people were looking for marketing uh, in the very same way that I had just learned it for myself. so um, at first, it was an opportunity to make a little money. Then I started to realize that, hey, kind of within the niche I'm falling into, there's a kind of a steady demand here. There might be something here. So it was all by mistake, but it's uh, it's been a good mistake and a good uh, good experience so far.
2: Yeah, I, I'd say so myself. So tell us uh, about uh, Intentionally inspirational. Um, you uh, you have uh, you have a team and uh, and you are like you said helping other businesses in a couple of different areas. So for folks that are not familiar in uh, automated marketing, walk us through what you guys do.
1: Yeah, so basically we help entrepreneurs and small businesses with their sales funnel. Right, it's basically the customer journey. You know, once people discover you or your brand uh, and they get on your email list, what happens next and um, we help people kind of grow their list, uh, build those relationships and increase engagement and ultimately make more sales. So we can help people come up with a strategy uh, in a language that they actually understand, right? No fancy marketing mumbo jumbo. And then we can help them actually build and execute that as well. So for a lot of people, it's like, okay, Hey, uh, what happens if somebody reaches out to you? What happens if somebody discovers your brand? What's next? Right? So we we start walking through that process. And then what I teach is, Hey, everything you do with marketing should help move people forward in the customer journey, right? The customer journey from figuring out who you are to making a purchase and then making repeated purchases, right? And even recruiting other people to make purchases with you as well. So it really never ends, but we help with all that.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely awesome. So um, very cool indeed. And you actually wrote a book, The Backwards Route to Forward Progress, Seven Solutions for Crushing Fear, Self-Doubt and Limiting Beliefs. Yep. So um, that's, a little, uh, that's a little off topic, but it certainly sounds a lot more uh, connected to your journey. Tell us a little bit about the process of writing and also perhaps that process of actually starting up a business because it sounds like that's, uh, been, uh, that's, that's been fun, but probably challenging at times too.
1: Oh yeah, I don't know if fun's the right word, but it, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, especially the way I did it, right? I tried to build something out of nothing in a, in two months. I told my wife, "Hey, let's quit the job making eighty thousand a year, and in two months I'll have the income replaced." It's a horrible plan because it didn't work, right? It didn't happen. So uh, I always would always recommend to people: start with something on the side. Make sure you can take care of your your bills and your living expenses, because it's just an unnecessary risk if you don't. But I wrote that book uh, when I was on this journey, and it's really a mindset, mindset and inspiration book, which does fit into the brand still. But it was, uh, you know, exactly where I was at at the time, and um, it, it's still, you know, relevant. It still makes sense because a lot of people struggle with that mindset thing, even if they're very successful. It's amazing. You think, oh, if people make millions of dollars a year, so they don't struggle with that. Not true at all. So um, it's definitely a mindset book, and uh, starting a business is difficult, but it's very rewarding as well, right? My motivation has always been to control my time, you know, no earning cap on my income. And then I didn't realize this, but the creative freedom part for me, very fulfilling, very important to me. And that's why I always felt dead in corporate America because I had my creativity taken away. I couldn't own my process. So um, I have great clarity with that now and it keeps me going. And I, I always feel
2: bad about asking people about failures, but you're actually remarkably uh, just brutally honest about, oh, yeah. about failure. Um, you talk about, you know, leaving corporate America twice um, yep. and failing on many businesses. So that's something that I think is important, especially for an entrepreneurial audience, to understand that it's okay to fail. So I want to dig in a little bit deeper over there, Jason. Again, chatting with Jason Wright, um, who, who wrote a book um, and started up a business... Uh, automated marketing. We'll get back into that in just a moment, but what is the one takeaway that you would uh, leave our entrepreneur listeners with uh, on this program uh, as the one thing that, that horrible mistake that you just hope and pray nobody else makes?
1: Um, it's not going to be what you think, but it's a good question. I think you, you need to be failing regularly, right? The biggest mistake you can not make is not to fail. So, playing it safe and entrepreneurship do not go hand in hand. Okay. I'm not saying bet the farm. I'm not saying, you know, if this doesn't work out, everybody's homeless and naked, like that's not a good plan, but you need to be, um, not just sitting in your mind all the time. You need to be doing. And when you do, you either succeed or fail. And if you fail, you get data and you can tweak and try again. So you need to be failing regularly and you need to be patient as well. Uh, patience is not something that comes to me naturally, but in this world, Um, You know, when you get to a point where you can pay your bills regularly, you don't know what that timeline is going to be. Right. It might be two months. Probably not. It could be six months or 16 years, but that's not for you to decide. So you have to be very, very patient. And uh, I guess one other thing I'll even tack on there is be very careful who you ask for for advice. Okay. You don't want to ask your sibling or spouse or neighbor about entrepreneurship advice if they don't run their own business successfully. It just doesn't make any sense. So so a bunch of advice all wrapped into one answer there.
2: I love it. I love it. And, and uh, real quick, going back over to the uh, to the marketing automation. So again, Jason Wright, CEO, founder of Intentionally Inspirational, uh, a true inspiration yourself. Um, you use a term a lot uh, day-to-day uh, about sales funnels. And sales yep. funnels is a piece of marketing automation. Yep. Um, and in your bio, uh, you talk about having worked on 225 funnels. Yep. So to the uh, ignorant listener... Um, they're like, what the heck is this guy talking about? What is a sales funnel and how does a very small business create them?
1: Yep. So sales funnel, I'll break down for you quickly in three parts, which everybody can understand. Part number one is the front end. Okay. That's your website, your landing page, your sales page, your cart pages, all the stuff that people see and interact with. Okay. Everybody kind of understands that. Uh, Part two, nobody really understands it's the back end. That's the foundation. That's where the magic happens. That's your email marketing, your marketing automation, text marketing, chatbots, et cetera, et cetera. And the final piece is the traffic, right? How do people find those websites? How do they find those landing pages? So that's the big three uh, pieces of a sales funnel. Uh, for a small business, You know everybody knows I need a website. Everybody understands I need to get traffic, but that backend piece is the most important. So if you're not building your email list now, start focusing on it today because it's the most important piece of all of this for current customers and future customers as well.
2: I love it. And that advice would ring true for both big businesses and small businesses?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's amazing how many small businesses that I I work with that have 25, 30, 50 people making great money, but they just have no concept of what I just said. It's like, all you guys are doing is focusing on the first week you get a new lead. And then after that, nobody knows what happens to them. You guys are losing so much money
2: yeah it's 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 funny sometimes people think that uh, that certain folks have it all figured out and they are uh, they are the most ignorant of all and then there's the smallest companies that are actually doing things right and uh, certainly you have helped many of them so again uh, Jason Wright founder CEO of intentionally inspirational and the author of the book the backwards route to forward progress seven solutions for crushing fear self-doubt and limiting beliefs lots of messages in there how can people learn more about you uh, download a copy of the of, of the book and uh, get into touch uh, with your amazing company.
1: So if they want to learn more about me or the company, intentionallyinspirational.com is the place to go. If you want to learn more about the book, you can check it out on Amazon.
2: Well, appreciate you coming on. Come back and inspire us again real soon. We are the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Great conversation there. Uh, Jason Wright, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Absolutely. And we are going to squeeze in a quick break, some headlines, pay the bills. And I'll be joined by Jeff Newcorn after this quick break. Uh, Excited to continue the conversation all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the past seven plus years. Make sure you rate, review, and share. And you can also find my other podcast where I talk to veteran leaders uh, on my show called We All Serve. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. So I've been so excited for this conversation. I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Jeff Newcorn, an expert in the area of work opportunity tax credit. Um, His company provides the administration and calculation work necessary for his clients to accurately claim There are work opportunity tax credits, um, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And Jeff is a contributing columnist to several publications, online newsletters. Jeff, welcome to the program.
4: Shalom. It's great to talk with you and your listeners.
2: Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, you know, we're going to get
4: into the discussion a little bit about the tax credits and the found money business that I founded and I'm running. But I would be remiss if I didn't also add in something on a personal note we're in a relationship business, so you might as well know I'm a 50-state marathon runner. So over 17 years and the determination it took to run that is also a metaphor for what entrepreneurs face in terms of the long haul. It's like a marathon. So I guess I'm a marathoner in, in more than one regard.
2: Certainly are. So many folks are not familiar with the areas that you have become an expert, and um, that we'll, we'll jump into a couple of them in our couple of minutes together. Um, But the Work Opportunity Tax Credit Empowerment Zones, tell us a little bit about that and how you got into it and what people really need to know.
4: Well, uh, I would be remiss if I were to mention, you know, I have a staff doing this. It's not all about founding a company, but I've got Megan, Celeste, Allie, and Sue working very hard for something that businesses, business owners don't generally understand. They understand profit and loss. They understand reducing expenses, but very few of them have been exposed to tax credits as a way to add cash into their business. And when I heard about this 22 years ago, that businesses were offered generous tax credits by the government, I nearly fell off my chair. And what I did was I started a business to educate many businesses, small and medium-sized businesses, who were completely clueless when it comes to some of those topics. And I talked to them about how Their business currently, the current model of their business, like running a restaurant or a grocery store or a staffing company, they're hiring people that are kind of have challenges, have barriers to employment, like food stamp recipients and welfare recipients and felons and veterans. And I explained to them how the government wants them to hire those people and how they can get tax credit as a way of paying them back for doing that. And it really caught on, especially with staffing companies, especially with Uh, McDonald's
2: and many other in the restaurant industry. And
4: it's continued to this day. It's been a great ride.
2: Absolutely. It's, it's really sad when folks leave money on the table. So tax credits for hiring. Let's talk about that. Um, it's a program that encourages employers to hire from a, a handful of different categories and different groups, um, which we're not going to have time to go through the entire list because we will send people to your website. Um, but there's there's money on the table and your team that you just called out does 95% of the work to make it happen. So I mean, can any should every business learn more about this? And 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 I mean, tell us what we need to know.
4: I, I think every business should learn about this, especially small and medium sized, because they don't always have access to this information, which you're so generously allowing them to hear about. Uh, this applies to not for profit businesses for hiring veterans, and for for profit businesses for the other groups which I mentioned, which typically have barriers to employment. People who don't have the greatest job history and who struggle to get jobs, they're on welfare, they're on food stamps, they have some sort of a disability. And this helps to level the playing field so that employers can not only know of these credits, but know if they seek out and hire these people, they're going to get a bonus from the government in terms of an income tax credit. This is money that really flows right to their bottom line, which is very exciting. And the thing I love about this is it's very easy to do. They already do the hiring process. They already have a payroll system. What we do is plug into an existing system so they don't have to reinvent the wheel and learn a bunch of new stuff. 95% of it, they hardly ever see. So it's attractive to them because they can make money with doing very little work. And we love doing the work because small businesses and medium-sized businesses often are
2: overlooked. Absolutely. And the crazy thing about this is that because there are so many programs that are out there, accountants don't even know to look for this. And that's where your team comes in. Um, And this is, again, uh, taking the money that's on the table um, that businesses, small businesses, like you said, so desperately need uh, to help them grow. And uh, Jeff, you've been in this line of work for a long time. So, uh, this is actually the uh, the the end of the year um, what What sort of changes um, can we expect should we expect and i 'm sure that your team is tracking moving into the new year
4: uh, The changes that are on the table right now in, in Washington are the stimulus bill which will hope hopefully extend the work opportunity tax credit for maybe up one to five years. Uh, we should know that uh, if we don 't already and that the in the new year is a perfect time to make changes especially when it comes to hiring and payroll one one is an outstanding time to say make your resolutions start participating in something new add this to your other resolutions that
2: you make i love it new year's resolutions so jeff newcorn you are an expert in these areas and uh, no doubt you have piqued a lot of people's interest in our conversation which we will continue how can people learn more and get in touch
4: uh, they can reach us either on our website, www.rjeffrey, that's rjeffre Uh They can use the traditional phone, if I can add that in, uh, 847-795-1400.
2: Absolutely. Well, Jeff Newcorn, thanks so much for joining us and the team at R. Jeffrey and Associates, experts in this area. And I do hope and encourage every small business owner to get in touch, pick up that money that's being left on the table, learn more about those opportunities and the changes, and even just have a simple conversation with the expert, the guru himself, Jeff Newcorn. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back on Get Down to Business in just a moment. All about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Conversation will continue in just a moment. Welcome back. I am joined by Merrily Orsini, the uh, president and CEO of uh, CoreCube. Merrily is the president, CEO, and is considered a thought leader in the healthcare at home industry and is involved in numerous organizations providing insight and advice. Uh, Merrily is the leader in the Help Choose Home initiative. Podcast creator and hope, in which she focuses on educating how and when to choose healthcare at home, which is a very important topic right now. Uh, lots of conversations around the country. So, Marilee, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you. So happy to be here today.
2: So happy to have you. So, uh, as I always love to do, is get to know the person behind the microphone. Um, you uh, are that thought leader that we just talked about in healthcare at home. But how did you get into that space?
0: I started in healthcare at home in 1981, probably before you were born.
2: <laughs> you are correct, Marilee. You are correct. Absolutely spot on. And um, yeah, so you, you've been in this for a while and you've seen the ups and downs. So I'm actually going to start with where we're at right now and then zoom out and talk about the, the industry as a whole. But uh, 2020 has been an interesting year, to say the least, um, especially as it relates to healthcare. What does this year look like for you?
0: You know, uh, because of the pandemic, more people are choosing if they need care to have care at home, um, obviously not wanting to get in a setting with lots of people. So it has really been a banner year for the healthcare care at home industry, um, basically because in addition to the, the need, the consumer need, the policymakers are also realizing that Oftentimes, care at home is the least expensive setting and also provides better outcomes. So we see this as a pivotal year where the uh, the larger entities and the policymakers are going to start having more support for health care at home because now they can see the benefits of it.
2: Mm-hmm. So uh, zooming out a little bit, why is healthcare at home not the first choice uh, since most consumers wish to age, as you just suggested, Merrilee, in place?
0: That is a very complicated question. It has to do with decades of, um, I don't I want to say this nicely, decades of having the medical professionals want to have their, the patients they care for in one spot instead of having them in different spots. However, uh, telemedicine, telehealth, and just basically telephones and and technology have really made it um, accessible now for people to, um, I've got quotes around when I say see the patient in their own home, but it has uh, the usage of telehealth and the capacity to see those patients, plus that policy shift where reimbursement for telehealth is now happening, and a reimbursement for care at home. So it really had to do with money and location. Uh, but now, as I say, people are seeing the benefits of it more and more. And hopefully, if we look out in the future, it will be something that all of us can have access to.
2: Mm-hmm. And what kind of services need to be combined to achieve that sort of optimal and successful health care at home environment?
0: The, the, the piece that was missing was the social determinants of health. We've always had a pretty good service for people who are medically fragile and have medical needs, but there are a lot of social needs that people have as well. For instance, you have to have groceries. You have to be able to connect with your physician. You have to be able to manage a bank account or some kind of money. So lots of support services that previously no one thought about. They were only thinking about the medical care. So what is needed is a more comprehensive approach, which we're now seeing, and the medical care plus the social networks and the social fail-safes need to be in place in order for someone to successfully stay at home.
2: Wow, I'm chatting with Maryle Orsini, the president and CEO of Corcubed, an industry leader um, in the healthcare at home industry. And it certainly sounds uh, my takeaway is that there is actually a silver lining to uh, to 2020 that perhaps some a uh, so better uh, a better thought process of uh, aging in place and healthcare at home is uh, is taking place as a result of a very challenging environment. So. Uh, the choices for um, for healthcare at home, the choices for aging in place is so complicated, as I'm understanding from you, Marilee. Can you provide a simple overview, very simple, at how one starts that decision-making process when that care is needed?
0: Uh, the first thing you really have to do is educate yourself. And I I <laughs> don't say that lightly because the fallacy about care at home or caring or needing care or needing help at the end of life is that all people are needing the same kind of care or help, and that is not the case. So my suggestion is to start with someone who understands geriatric care management, because you really have to look at what financial resources do you have, what support services do you have within your family and your community, and what your health prognosis is. Is it something, do you have a, a degenerative disease that's only going to get worse? Do you have cognitive issues that uh, could possibly only get worse? So there really isn't a one-size-fits-all, and the, the best thing to do is to educate yourself as to what is available given your situation, given your scenario, and given your financial capacity
2: absolutely that makes perfect sense um and uh i appreciate that and we're going to squeeze in a break um but when we come back i want to talk about technology um how technology is playing a role in uh, in-home care and also talk a little bit more about you and uh, some of the uh, the accolades that have been uh, bestowed on on you and and talk about some lessons that you've learned in uh, call it entrepreneurship and in community involvement so again Marilee Arsini will join us back after the break and I wanted to give a shout out as we wrap up this year to our amazing friends and supporters of the show at uh, at Chicago Signature Limo uh, Irina Freeman a good friend of the program for all of your transportation needs get in touch with them com, and of course uh, my good friend tom mirabali from health plan chicago health chicago.com for all of your health care and insurance needs we'll be back and get down to business in just a moment Welcome back. You are on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, and I'm continuing my conversation with Mary Orsini, the president and CEO of CoreCubed. Um, so we're just starting a bit of a conversation about technology. So how is technology helping meet the demand for in-home care? And again, going back to COVID and going back to 2020 as a whole, how has that accelerated things? You
0: know, technology is really one of the reasons that we are able to provide healthcare care at home now, and on two levels. We talked earlier about telehealth and telemedicine and, and reaching out to the patients uh, with the physicians or the health staff doing that. But the other way that technology is helping, and it's really been amazing to watch, the, um, all of the systems that run a home health agency are possible uh, through technology. It's only getting better and better. So everything is going mobile, So when a technician is in the home, whatever their device is, device agnostic software is available so that the visit can be recorded. If there's any needs, they can be noted. If there's any communication that needs to happen or appointments that need to be made, that can all be done through technology. And the other thing I'm seeing in technology is, um, and I'm going to call out a specific business here, Access, which is a company technology company in Dallas, Texas, has created an I want to just say an Uber-like application that is helping solve the nursing shortage. And that's one of the issues we talked about silver linings for the pandemic, but we are having a shortage of nurses. So what Access Care does actually is allows anyone within a geographic region to pick up a shift or to pick up a visit. And they don't have to work for the agency. So it allows an agency to expand their reach and to to go out into the community and pull nurses who are already vetted, already working for other agencies, but to pick up an additional shift. So it's a very efficient way to staff cases in the home because, obviously, they're all geographically based. And if you can cluster them together geographically, then you're going to be able to see more patients.
2: Wow. Um, wow. I no, I I appreciate that um and that's that's huge. That is the silver lining over here. So Marilee, real quick before we wrap up um our uh, conversation today, you've won a lifetime achievement in business award at the 2017 Stevie Awards for uh women in business. And uh, in 1996, you won the Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award from uh, Ernst & Young. So uh, lots of accolades. And that is due to your uh, leadership in community and leadership in the industry. Um, so what's next for you?
0: You know, I'm focusing on my Help Choose Home podcast, which is really educating. And I'm also serving more as a strategic consultant because um, I've learned a lot about marketing in these uh, Many years I've been in business, and that's the focus of CoreCubed, which is my company. So we're really just looking at how do we do what we do better and how do we do more of it?
2: Well, I appreciate all of the good work you are doing. So where can people learn more about your podcast? Where can more uh, people learn about uh, your good work at CoreCubed?
0: Well, Core Cubed is C O R E C U B E D dot com, and there's lots of information there about me. And Help Choose Home is HelpChooseHome.com. dot com. You can go to the website or you can find our podcasts anywhere, literally, that podcasts are found.
2: Absolutely, and I hope that people will do that. So uh, make sure you are checking out that podcast. And while you're there, again, click subscribe rate, review, share uh, both uh, Merrily's podcast as well as Get Down to Business and my other podcast called We All Serve. So I just realized actually um, that this is the last show of 2020 so I hope everybody's had some fantastic holidays whatever holidays you celebrate um, but uh, I wish all of our listeners a very, very happy, healthy, safe new year. Uh, hoping 2021 will be infinitely better than 2020. We'll be back as always um, sharing uh, great Conversations all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship every Sunday here on AM560. The answer every Sunday, 6 p.m., spread the word. But to success, let's get down to business. Thanks so much for joining us.